Hello, and welcome to the Hamumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown. I am your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your other host, Soli Hommel. And we're going to take you through 31 scary movies through the month of October, like we do every year. But for the first time this year, we're going to do it entirely in audio format. We like to mix it up every year. One thing you need to be aware of is that we will be employing a truly ghoulish number of spoilers throughout all of these reviews. So if you haven't seen the movie we're reviewing, maybe don't listen to our podcast until you do. We highly recommend you check them out and watch along with us. It's going to be fun for everybody. I mean, how could it not be? So if you're ready and you've watched the movie, please step inside our lair and let's begin. For our grand finale this month, we're not going to cover just one movie. We're going to do four. We are starting with Steelmanville Road. We're following that with Badder Ben. And then Bad Ben colon the Mandela Effect. And lastly, the Crescent Moon Clown. What do these four have in common? You guessed it. They are the four sequels to Bad Ben that are all part of the Bad Ben trilogy. Yeah, trilogy. So Steelmanville Road is the second in the series, and it goes back to before Bad Ben, to the family that lived there before Nigel Bach or Tom Riley did. Right. Theoretically, it's a prequel to Bad Ben. Okay, can I get on that right away? My use of the word (laughs) theoretically there? Yes. Yes, please. Well, I mean, I think it's very much a prequel in the sense that He made Bad Ben, and this is my theory, is that he got lots of response. I think he got a lot of response, and he was excited about it. And a lot of people were saying to him, this movie doesn't explain where Bad Ben comes from. Mm -hmm. What's happening? So weird. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, they commented on specific elements. Oh, can I talk about one of them? Okay. Can I talk about the picture? Yes. Because we (laughs) noted that in our review. Yeah. That this picture that supposedly a child had drawn, we were like, no kid drew that. That is clearly an adult drawing a picture with crayons. And I think that is the biggest point. Knowing that that's what it looked like and that in this movie, it turns out, hey, an adult drew that picture. Yes. We can surmise that Nigel Bach was reading the YouTube comments, etc. <laughs> and was like, oh, dang. Okay, <laughs> like I know what to do. did that. Huh? And so he, he basically went through all the criticism and commentary to create this script as it were, of ways to explain how all these things happen. And it's ludicrous. Most of all, at the very, very end, the psychic lady, Mona, Mm -hmm. is burying Bad Ben in the backyard, and she talks to the grave in the most expository scene ever written, saying things like, But be warned, if you do try to rise again, the caretakers will chain you up in the basement. Just because he didn't, he couldn't come up with a way to make right. Bad Ben end up chained up. Right. I mean, that's, that's hilariously bad. Ex- and she explained to the grave, By the way, your parents are being cremated. I'm going to put their ashes in the attic. I'm like, yeah. okay, well. It's like he had written all the parts he could think of, and then he's like, well, this still doesn't cover the chains and the ashes. So, hmm. <laughs> Well, I'll just have her say it. And the chains were in the basement already. Like, they went down there with the baby, air quotes around baby, Uh 
And there's already a chain, like, hanging from the ceiling. And I'm like, I feel like we should address the fact that this basement came with chains. Free chains. Yeah, it was clunky. And I think I was comparing it to the remake of The Thing, which turned out to be a prequel. And did the same concept as what this did. But did it so smoothly. And then this was just so clunky. So my main complaint with this movie is that I know that Nigel Bach writes good dialogue. Or somebody does. I think he ad-libs good dialogue. Maybe that's that's what it is. Because the dialogue in Bad Ben was great. There was so (laughs) much about it that I liked. And then the script that they used for this movie was so, so weak. And I think part of it was the acting. The acting was horrid. They were so bad. (laughs) Yeah, everybody was so bad. And there were ghosts that were hilarious. I mean... (sighs) Oh, everybody Yeah, the CGI was bad. did not improve. Oh, no. Nothing improved, and then big chunks of it got worse. Lots of big chunks. It was really disappointing. And I was also disappointed at how much of it was just straight up the first movie done with different people saying essentially the same lines and, yeah. and going through the same motions. Yeah. It was disappointing. It really felt like a high school play to me. Like, in many oh, yeah. ways. But do you know what I did like was Elijah, the evil ghost. Well, actually, I guess he was the good ghost. <laughs> the except, black and white ghost. Yeah, the black and white mm-hmm. evil ghost that's scared away by crosses, but is kind of actually good. I don't know. Mm-hmm. He had the same scary ghost makeup as uh, the Charlie Charlie ghost in Charlie Charlie. The surprise burrito oh, guy. Oh, he did. <laughs> that's interesting. Oh, bird. Oh, one other thing. In this movie, backwards speaking was Latin again. Third movie. That is a really common thing. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, like, do these movie directors, like, listen to what backwards speaking sounds like? Because it doesn't sound like Latin. Now, the other thing was that along with this kind of clunky creating it in order to end up in the right spot, they also shoehorned in this very complicated story about why the demon wanted to have a baby with this woman. Yeah, this whole history of the Leeds family. And it was like, it took all of the things that I have previously complained about, like writers rely on sexual violence too much and all of these things. And it was like, there's rape and there's incest and there's Satanism and like just all like basically everything the most horrific that you could think of and they just kind of crammed it all into one <laughs> like town folklore scary story yeah. sort of thing and well that's why he's bad Ben and not good Ben right but it was so again it was so clunky and it was so just like here's a a long narrative that Mona is going to give. Oh, forever. With intermittent interruption by Rachel laughing during yeah. this story. Well, she was like, yeah, that's crazy folklore we always hear around here. I don't know. But they just massively overcomplicated what should have been really simple. You know, like some kind of ritual summoned this demon that's now in the basement. Boom. Right. No, it, ha- it was it very so many layers of just ridiculous, like the caretaker ghosts. There's a whole group of ghosts. And then at the end, Elijah's all, can I cross over now? <laughs> and they were like, yes, come with us. Oh, uh, Elijah. Yeah. I feel like we were warned that this was one of the weaker yes. movies in this series. I wasn't expecting it to be this week. No, it was and I'm, shocking. I'm a little bit concerned because I have, I have to admit, I have very, very high hopes 
for Mandela effect. <laughs> and I'm a little bit concerned that I might have set the bar too high. Well, we'll find out. I guess we will. So oh. how are you going to rate Steelmanville Road? All right, this is a terrible movie. It's not good, but it was pretty fun. It wasn't like Charlie Charlie fun by any means. So I'm going to give this one one shoehorn out of five. Very nice. So if I remember correctly, I gave Bad Ben a five. You did. I really appreciated Bad Ben. Uh I did not appreciate this movie. No, I can understand So I am also going to give it one shoehorn out of five, which I feel is going to come across as a dramatic tumble and a change in my um, standards, I guess. But it just felt like it was that different to me. It was. It was a totally different experience. And I gave the other one a lot of credit because... His actors backed out and a lot of the people who were going to help him backed out and he ended up doing it all alone and that made it more impressive. He yeah. wasn't working alone and he picked not the right people to help him. Yeah. He would have done better alone. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the original movie was cheesy and dumb, but it, it reminded me of Leaving D.C., but nowhere near as good as Leaving D.C. in yeah. terms of quality. But. You know, it's that same kind of thing where you're engrossed in this one guy's life. But mm-hmm. this was not that by any stretch. I don't know how he could have done this movie alone, though, because he right. needed people to be this couple and all of this. So, I mean, it was he's in a tough position, I guess, but I was disappointed. So, Batter Ben is the third movie in the series. It is. And this one is about the paranormal investigators who come to investigate the story of Tom Riley disappearing. Right. right? So it, this is like, now we're after the first movie. The second right. movie was before, now we're after again. And and time, Tom Riley disappeared. We know he was, you know, attacked by Bad, Bad Ben in the basement. Right. And Jackie and Schmitty and David <laughs> have all come to record like a, what is it? It's like a podcast, right? No, they were making a video. I mean, I guess it could be a video podcast. I, I don't know. A documentary. Okay. They wanted to make a lot of money. I know that. They were very excited about the money this was going to make them. And one of the very first things that they discover upon arriving <laughs> at the house is that Tom Riley is not dead. Not even a little dead. Although he does seem changed to me. He is now scared to an extreme degree. He has PTSD, they say. Yes, he has the funny, (laughs) funny PTSD. Yeah, it it is funny, funny, because it also, it's got all these slapstick moments where he's fallen down and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 And and David, who is the producer of this show that Oh my making, gosh, David. His sole purpose in life for, for life, sure. <laughs> definitely for at least the first half of this movie appears to be him triggering Tom Riley's funny funny PTSD. Yeah. Like he only ever speaks or appears on camera when he's like suddenly popping up behind Tom and <laughs> Tom is like freaking yeah. out and falling to the ground. Yeah, there's a lot of that. So Tom terrified, PTSD. Mm-hmm doesn't want to go back in the house but then he's like all right i'll go back in there's such an element of people not being scared enough in this movie like (laughs) theoretically tom is ultra scared like he has ptsd he is shaking he can't handle anything except he totally can like they leave him alone sitting on a lawn chair four feet in front of the house while they go off and shop for him 
And this is the house that in the backyard is Bad Ben's grave. He knows Bad Ben lives out in the woods, and he's mm-hmm. chilling out listening to Abba. I think it was because they gave him oh, um, that, Jackie's like iPod, and he got to listen. Him. Yeah, so he th- then he was fine. So they finally convinced Tom to go into the house, and basically my main my main note here for the begin well for the whole movie <laughs> is that these characters are all extremely unlikable. Yeah. Now, I don't count Tom Riley in that because he is <laughs> unlikable, but in a way that I like, yeah, it's if fun. that makes any sense. <laughs> but Jackie and Schmitty and David are all extremely unlikable in, in different ways. Oh. So they're all unique. Uniquely unlikable. But they're the kind of characters where you're sort of rooting for Bad Ben. Yeah. Because it's going to be fun to see them get their comeuppance, I guess. <laughs> Which is kind of disappointing because it's at one point Bad Ben captures the three filmmakers and makes them lay down and take a nap in the basement yeah <laughs> devastating <laughs> so at, at one point i wrote did nigel bach write them out of the rest of the movie <laughs> yeah they just disappeared for <laughs> like a long they, time <laughs> yeah there had been some kind of difference of opinion of some sort he's just like all right you guys are all out bad ben got you you're done bye <laughs> But they did come back. They reconciled their differences. Apparently. So that Tom could wake them up from their downstairs nap. Yes. And and yeah, they're laying there like they're dead. And he reaches out and touches them. And of course, you know, instead of being dead, she screams. Like, (laughs) that's all it took for her to wake up and know exactly where she was and what was going on. Everything was cool. Yeah. Do you think that's because she theoretically is a professional (laughs) and knows, like, what she considers herself a professional uh what she's Um, a paranormal investigator but was she also a psychic i think so a medium yes yes and she is very much like she goes in and is able to connect with the spirits very quickly and call them to her and she like knows all this stuff she is a professional also her buddy schmitty also known as tristan carmichael Right. But only to himself, because everyone else calls him Schmitty. Which is, which is revealed in a very dramatic, up-close oh, scene. Yes, I wrote down parody of Blair Witch Blubber scene, which yes. is exactly what they were doing. It was just missing the, like, snot. Yeah, that's aspect. what they were trying to do, and that was that was funny. He was so sad that everyone called him Schmitty when that wasn't his name, even though he had never said a word about it to them. Right. But um, he... She's a professional medium. He is the king of white balance, according to a quote from the movie. Yes, the king of white balance. He is the cameraman who, of all the found footage movies we have ever watched, this is the camera guy who spends the most time putting the camera down so that he can also be in the shot. And constantly being yelled at to pick the camera back up. Right? Like, his one job is to record things, and he's constantly asking questions like, Oh, should I get the camera? (laughs) Yeah. Hello? And then there's David, of course, who's the producer, who it sort of seems like he's there to, you know, be difficult about whether shots can be made and how they should do things. And for the the, um, creative differences with Jackie. Yeah, well, and ostensibly he's in charge, but Jackie just runs this show. Oh, she She bosses everybody around. Uh Uh-huh. Including uh-huh. Tom, somehow. And he's not, not thrilled with that. He does not love that. No. But only up to a point. Yeah, so they get taken, and, and Tom then goes back sort of to the original Bad Ben Tom, where he's, like, yeah. spouting off at Bad Ben and kind of demanding, <laughs> him, you know, that he do things. And, like, he's not afraid anymore. Yeah. So then when the three uh, investigators come back, he's much more like, no, th- I know what I'm doing. 
Like, yeah. you guys all got caught and well, I have not. And this becomes, suddenly towards the end, the origin story of Tom Riley, paranormal investigator. I mean, yes. very straightforwardly, he's like, this is it. I'm a superhero now. I'm going to do this. Yes. Including the way he resolves this whole movie, which is just, like, nothing. It's so dumb. He's just like, get him, bad Ben. And then Bad Ben and the demon, I guess, must both kill each other because otherwise there would be still some problem up there. I guess so. So, I mean, story-wise, the one, the new piece of it, and again, it felt like Nigel Bach was reading the reviews and like yeah. the forums and stuff and was, was then created a movie to try to answer the questions and complaints <laughs> that people had given. And he's very uh, responsive to the very. audience. So the story piece that's new here, he goes into a long explanation. Well, Jackie goes into a long explanation about the difference between the ghosts <laughs> of the the previous owners who are just there haunting the house because they still think it belongs to them. Yeah. And Bad Ben, who, who is... monster. Yeah, the Jersey Devil. Like... An actual living being who is sort of demonic. And then there's an actual demon. And these are all three separate entities. This movie just had to have it all. So, but I thought it was interesting that the end, I mean, it was, it was not a great resolution, but it was sort of that like um, Godzilla versus Mothra kind of thing where it was like, you have these two things that are attacking you. And if you can get them to attack each other, then you're safe. Yeah. And well, you know what's funny about that is he he lied to do it. He's like, get him, Bad Ben. He broke your toy. He broke the toy falling down the stairs. Or Okay, maybe... truthfully, though, he got pushed okay. down the stairs. Yeah, maybe he's he's connecting it that I way. I mean, it was maybe a little bit of a stretch, but... <laughs> yeah, I'll give him that. Although yeah. that was an awkward fall down the stairs, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. So then he has one last, like, argument with Ben, because Ben still is trying to take him down to the basement... Which strips him of all of his clothes. I forgot this scene. (laughs) And then he leaves fully naked with like censor bars that actually say the word censored on them. Yep. It was like cartoonish at the end. It was very cartoonish, yes. And and then we get to see his commercial for his new paranormal investigator business. (laughs) Yeah. And it's worth noting that beyond this point, before the uh well i don't know if it's beyond this or beyond the next movie but anyway in the future tom riley literally is a cartoon on amazon prime you can watch tom riley paranormal investigator really weird cartoons that i watched part of one and decided i was done yeah it was not something that i wanted to watch (laughs) no it was bad stuff definitely not for a young audience either those are adult cartoons yeah so i guess i don't have a ton more to say I did note that watching Tom Riley be cranky was like if Huzzah were starring in a movie. <laughs> yeah. Because they sort of had the same, like, cranky old man get off my lawn vibe. Yeah, and Huzzah is our cat. Yes. Yes, for those who... I'm just assuming that only Aaron and Amy are listening, so... <laughs> it's good to know the names of all of your <laughs> listeners. Right? And then I do have a favorite line that I want to share. All right. Did you have a favorite line well, in this one? The only line I wrote down was you are the king of white balance, mm. but it's not my favorite. There were better lines for sure. So my favorite line was right around. It's also about Schmitty. Oh, yes. It's around the time that he reveals very dramatically that his name is Tristan Carmichael. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And after he has this very emotional interaction with the camera, he gets up and he starts flicking the lights. 
Oh, yeah. And he's yeah. clearly doing Morse code. And the other people ask him what he's doing, and he says, Doing SOS in the lights, you know, Morse code. No, you're not. You're spelling OSO, Einstein. It's the fuck that counts, Tom. Okay, hey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that whole, like, from the three-quarter mark on, the movie was just a Three Stooges movie. <laughs> it really was. Everything was ludicrous. It and was... I mean, it, it was intentional comedy. It's not just unintentional comedy, no, no, but no, it, it was, was being very yeah. silly and it was interesting. It, it was fun. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. I was happy to have Tom Riley back. Yeah. Because Nigel Buck is a better actor than any of the people that he hires to be actors with him. Which is sad. He's not, like, great. No, he's But not. he is by far the best <laughs> actor of all of the people who've been in the Bad Ben movies. He's really good with dialogue, and so I enjoy seeing him as a character. I guess for my favorite line, I just want to say the, uh, I don't have the actual line, but at the beginning, Jackie has hacked into all the unprotected cameras within a five-mile radius, and then the best part is right after that when they show the facial recognition system locking oh. onto Tom and comparing him with his image. That Engaging was amazing. facial recognition system. <laughs> that was yeah. great. So, let's rate this one. What do you think? So, Bad or Ben, it's not as good as Bad Ben. And I think, I don't know that it's really not, but I think the, the impact of it wasn't as impactful. For sure. That's, I am I a writer. I that. It, but it was nowhere near as disappointing as Steelmanville Road was. Definitely. So, I feel like I am going to give Bad or Ben three Tristan Carmichaels out of five. I'm going to okay. put it right in the middle <laughs> You know, I gave the first one a five, the second one a one. I'll give the third one a three. All right, that makes sense. How about you? For me, it was really interesting to see that the technique is an order of magnitude better than the original Bad Ben, which mm. is funny because Steelmanville Road was awful. But he actually used a real camera this time. Like, you could tell, even though they still also used the GoPros from the original movie. Right. And, you know, he hired real actors, some of which could kind of act. And, you know, there were scenes and dialogue and whatnot. And so it was like closer to being a real movie. And there was fancy CGI, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> it was better CGI than Hideaway. I'll give him that. <laughs> yes. Yes, it was. But with all that, it's still not as good of a movie as Bad Ben, which mm -hmm. was just a one-man thing that was just fun to experience. And this one tried to be funny and which is fine and it was pretty good but it's not a good movie by any means which is why i rate this two tristan garmichaels out of five not up to the lofty standards of the three i gave bad ben <laughs> but not a one like steelmanville wrote again i'm hitting exactly in the middle between my two votes right, right. yeah that seems logical so the next one is the one i've been super excited about literally all of these other movies that we watched <laughs> have been so that I could watch this next one. All right, let's see what happens. Okay. Now the fourth movie in the Bad Ben trilogy is Bad Ben the Mandela Effect, which is a repeat of Bad Ben, multiple repeats of Bad Ben in different universes. I feel like calling it the Mandela Effect implies that, but I don't, I do, had I not known that's what it was called and had I not known what Mandela Effect is, I would not have known that's what was going on. Yeah, here's what I say is going on. Okay. Nigel Bach, wanted to make more horror movies 
And in fact, in this case, he wanted to make short films. He was like, I've got lots of little ideas for horror movies, but I only own one house and I'm the only actor I've got. So how can I do it? And he said, I know, I'll pretend it's all variations of the first movie, even though one's about a creepy doll, one's about a sort of creepy clown, sort of, one's about nothing, and one's a fun ending. Um, yeah, so that makes sense. That's what I saw there. I sort of thought that it seemed like he had, again, been reading the forums. Yeah. And had seen, you know how you and I like to go, oh, if I had done this movie, I would have done this differently in <laughs> right. this way. I feel like he was reading people talking about those things. And he's like, ooh, that would be fun. Let me make that as a short. And let me make that as a short. Yeah. And he just sort of seemed to be having fun with it this time. Yeah, I thought it was pretty fun. It was one big downside to this for me was it was it's a short movie. It's 67 minutes long, but it was boring. Like large chunks of it. There was a five minute scene of him sleeping (laughs) that that could have been cut. Well, and I mean, I I think the point of that scene was that, you know, it was the tension because I was certainly sitting there. This was well into the movie. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, it can't just be him sleeping. What am I missing? What yeah. little thing is happening in the corner that I'm not catching? The paranormal activity game. Right. But it was a long time of nothing happening <laughs> before really the paranormal activity occurred. Which, I mean, fair enough. That is actually what happens in paranormal activity. But I don't know. It, it I didn't know to expect it here, I guess, was the thing. Is I, I was just like, okay, he's, he's napping. So of the different uh, resets, the different universes, doll universe, clown universe, call the doctor for deja vu universe, <laughs> yep. and then the... Uh, Oh, you know, that was the call is coming from outside the house universe. Oh, yes. Yes. And then, of course, the, yeah, nope, I'm out universe. That was, that was my favorite. That was your favorite? That was (laughs) going to be my question. Like, which of these did you like most? Or, you know, was the original Bad Ben universe better than any of these? It was more fleshed out as a story, for sure. I think the creepy doll was pretty fun because we got the doll cam. Oh, which... doll cam with the little footy noises. Yeah, they tried, but they didn't keep up with the footy no, noises like they should have. but it was have. cute. And then the holding up the knife that you could see on the side mm-hmm. of the screen, that was great. But really, just wrapping it up, the way he ended this movie really brought it up a few notches. That was just the right finish. Yeah, I think it was. And I think, yeah, I agree. He, if, if he hadn't had one of those at the end, it wouldn't have felt like there was an arc. And that gave it the arc where eventually, like he kind of kept having more and more sense of familiarity and deja vu and all that. And finally in this one, he's like, this feels really familiar. And there's the screeching noise. And he's like, nope, I'm out. I'm going to put this back on the market right now. (laughs) And And that, like, like he learned something throughout the whole process. Yeah. I do think, though, like you said, he should pull up and the house would just be on fire. I think we needed one of those. Just somewhere in the middle of the movie, just Mm -hmm. a a 10-second universe. Right. There's always one. (laughs) In this sort of thing, there's always one universe that just seems completely off kilter. Like, you know, it doesn't make sense that every universe out there is all the same except... The color of the chairs has changed, or this time there were dogs in the house before. Like, those are minor issues. There always has to be that one that's completely different. I mean, just to have... I don't even need it to be different. It could have been, like, 
one where he drives up he's like here's my new house hooray and he goes and he opens the door and just bad ben the big cgi bad ben from uh batter ben i believe oh yeah the big like demon looking <laughs> yeah, one just pops his head out the door and shomp, eats him. and it's done like i would have loved that yeah yeah that would have been fun but we didn't get it um speaking of dogs I loved this. I'm pretty sure this was, I don't want to say mistake because I feel like he definitely knew it happened, but he left How it in. How did you miss it? Yeah. An intentional mistake, I guess, that in the clown reset, he's like doing a thing with the Ouija board and he had turned out all the lights and, you know, because that's how you're supposed to do it. And then all of a sudden, this dog head shows up out of the darkness in the corner. And it's clearly Nigel Bach's dog. It's very happy to and see him. And there's zero mention of it. Like, there's no mention. There is no dog in the movie. Except that right after that, he goes, I felt something brush up against my leg. <laughs> like, yeah, you did. And it completely ruined any fear factor that would come from anything that happened under that table because my brain was just like, yep, that's the dog. It's a dog. There's a dog under there. there. And yeah, at the end of his Ouija thing, he's like, I have to quit because there's, I know there's something under this table. <laughs> I really wanted the dog to follow him out of the yeah, room at that point. That was necessary, but it didn't happen. No. I sort of like I didn't like the beginning of the the call is coming from outside the house one because it it was like he was all very kind of angsty and you know calling his doctor about oh yes yes he's leaving a a phone message for his medical doctor because he has a bad case of deja vu yeah which which is a little very medical but then you know it was ridiculous but it was ridiculous in the way that like those collections of horror stories for kids like the black and white yeah. cover, I forget what they were called. But there were a whole bunch of them when I was like in, you know, like sixth grade and they were very popular. And they had dumb stories like that, like where it was just uh-huh. calling from, you know, I'm in the basement, I'm in the attic, I'm in the this and that. Oh, and then yeah. stupid That's endings. Classic. Right. Or like the the girl with the yellow ribbon around her neck and like the whole moon the whole <laughs> story is like her telling her husband, no, you can't, no, you can't, no, you can't. And then finally on her deathbed, yes, you can take the yellow ribbon off my neck. And her head falls off. Yep, it was I know that, that story. kind of story. It was because, I mean, like, who cares? Like, the call was coming from around the house. And that was tense. Like, oh, is it here? And he's going upstairs. And then it's like, no, I'm in the basement. So it had the layers. But then the big finish is that he goes down the basement in the dark and screams. And that's it. Yeah. Which is totally like a campfire story kind of thing. It's just, okay, boo. Yeah. Now, there wasn't, was there any CGI in this? Uh, The clown head was a mask. The doll was all camera work. I was actually wondering, you know, those hands popped up behind the couch. Weren't they CGI? That was somebody's hands? I think that was somebody in white gloves. (laughs) Okay, because that's funny. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Who was not taking their cue quickly enough, if you ask me. (laughs) No, I think there was no CGI in this movie. I can't really think of when any would have happened. So maybe that was, you know, like there that was an opportunity for him to use some of his CGI skills. And yeah. it, it seems like maybe he's realized that he needs to step away from that aspect yeah, of filmmaking. Yeah, he stepped into the uh, forums and heard about <laughs> right? that too. Yeah. That's another response. 
Yeah. So I was disappointed that it was only an hour long for as many pieces. Mm-hmm. Like they could have been fleshed out more. And the first one, the dog cam one, was a full half hour, almost 40 minutes of it. Yeah, it was most of the movie. So I, I feel like that could have been balanced out better. I feel like he could have fleshed some of the other stories out more. I don't know. But like you said, it was already slow and draggy. It was. So. Um, and the doll story wasn't. The doll story was okay. It if that had been the movie, if it was like, this time Tom Riley's dealing with a creepy doll in the same house for some reason, that'd be fine. I don't know. There was an awful lot of him just walking around well, yeah. in rooms that had nothing going on, and it was all supposed to be tension yeah, building. Yeah, there was. There was a lot of that. And I, I wasn't feeling a lot of the tension. Well, and a big part of that is that it's the same house, the same guy. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be the same events. It kind of starts out the same. I was bored right away. Like, when he was first in the car talking about, I'm going to the house, that wasn't boring. I'm like, okay, what's going to be different? But then he pulls up to the house, and we have the long walk up into the house, checking mm-hmm. out the lawn and all these newspapers. And it's like, this is we've seen all this. It's not interesting again. And then it happened another time in this movie. So, I lots. feel like he could have used that same time... The driving up and parking and la 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 la. He could have used instead of spending the time on that. He could have spent time showing us the little differences in the Tom Rileys of each universe. Like the first one in Doll Cam, that Tom Riley was much nastier than the other ones. Like he was, like yeah. he used the B word <laughs> so many times that I was getting annoyed by it. Like he was... Yeah, he did not know the word doll, apparently. No. And he was just very... It it was almost edging into like sexism in how much mm-hmm. he was using that word. And and so if he had if he had really done some exploring into who are these different Tom Rileys in these different universes, and if they were reacting differently, like, like the one who was sort of the hypochondriac, (laughs) work on that, like build that up. That would have been interesting. Well, I think for me, what I needed was editing. Like Mm -hmm. this, you know, was very found footage movie, obviously, but it took that found footage feel of this is the real footage. So let's watch it all as it really happened. But it should have been cut way down to just have the important events. Are you suggesting that perhaps... The lengthy scene where he picks up the paper where he finds the doll and throws it in the trash but drops some of the dirt and then sweeps and then it up and then vacuums. Up. Like, do you think perhaps that was not a necessary shot? And the classic napping scene also. A little bit long. Yeah. Yeah. We could have trimmed a lot. And actually, when he went to go get that doll in the back of the house, he walked through the woods for like a minute and a half before he got there. Yeah. We didn't need it all. I I feel, yeah, an editor could have tightened it up a little bit. And then he would have had time. And the thing is, I don't think he put the effort into really making this cohesive. He wanted to make four different movies. Yeah. And then just kind of glued them together through the pure, you know, fact that it's the same person in the same house. Like, yeah. I think he could have put some writing into it to to make them all cohesive yet different. And I was a little disappointed that he didn't do that. Yeah, that would be cool. Why don't you tell me your rating for Bad Ben, the Mandela Effect? So this is the fourth movie we've seen. And I guess the question is, where does it place relative to the other movies? And... For me, that would be that I think Batter Ben is superior to this a little bit. I don't know. It's close. 
In fact, it's close enough that I think I just want to give this the same rating. I'm going to say this is two doll cams out of five. Same rating as Batter Ben. How do you think this compares? Okay. I think I liked this one better than Batter Ben. I have a more positive feel, like just approach to it, you know, just my gut feeling of whether I liked it or not. And I don't know specifically why. I think it has something to do with the creativity of seeing the different ways this story could have gone. I like that. I think it was done weekly. It could have been much better, but I like that better than I like the storyline of Batter Ben, which felt weaker. That being said, going by what we've been doing, that, you know, I should give it like a four, but (laughs) this was not a four movie. So I'm going to give it a 3.5. 3.5 doll cams out of five for this one. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt like, like when I heard, you know, he was doing Bad Ben, the Mandela effect, I was excited. Maybe not as excited excited. as you, but I was excited. And he had this opportunity to do something really creative and inventive, a story that was going to surprise me, you know, Mm -hmm. about all these things interweaving and, you know, what does it mean? And like, that could get trippy. Like it could start jumping into really, really short pieces and like... Uh, and he's trapped and like the one the guy from one story starts ending up in the other story i don't know there's a lot of room for subtlety yeah. in that idea and there was no subtlety yeah. in the execution yeah of it. all he really did was make a bunch of little bad bed movies yeah so it was disappointing yeah i agree so purely by luck the fifth movie in this series has come out in time for us to watch it yeah. before we have to post this podcast. Just a few days ago. So, lucky you, dear <laughs> listeners, there is one more Bad Ben movie review coming up. The final movie in this amazing, amazing, I don't know, <laughs> Bad Ben trilogy. You mean part five of the trilogy. Part five of the trilogy is called The Crescent Moon Clown. And I believe it is supposed to take place last in the series, like timeline-wise. And it has an entirely different cast. Well, well of one. <laughs> a, a single, completely different person. Yeah. Um, but theoretically, like the people in the house are yeah, a, a new family. I guess this is the family that bought the house from Tom Riley, assuming that it was in the universe in which he was like, <laughs> walked in, saw it was haunted, and was like, nope, oh, this is going back on the market. I didn't even consider that. I was thinking of the original Bad Ben movie, and then Badder Ben, in which he, I don't think he sold the house, I think he lost the house. Like, he couldn't make the payments, and he just walked away. Uh, so they bought it from the sheriff's sale again, or something. Maybe? I don't know. But the fact that he shows up again at the end of this one... <laughs> Like he, he like he just walks in like he still owns the place. He's like, uh, which I guess makes sense because all his stuff is still <laughs> yeah. there. Okay, so the wife's biological mother. She had that furniture. And then the couple lived there for five minutes. No, at least nine months. Oh, right. Yeah. Right, because there was a baby. Okay, so the couple lived there for, let's say, about a year. And they disappeared or were murdered. Oh, murder-suicide. Yeah. That's what they said. Then Tom Riley buys it at the sheriff's auction mm-hmm. and lives there for not an long unknown period of time but yeah it doesn't seem like long multiple time loops right that's the mandela one and it goes through a few different times sometimes for a long time sometimes he doesn't even <laughs> step through the front door yeah 
And now this new family, um, the girl's name was Renee. Yeah, I don't know her last name. I don't think we ever heard her last name, and we didn't hear her parents' names, and we never see her parents. They're only no. on the phone, and we don't even hear them. We just hear her side of the conversation with them. Um, so, yeah, so Renee's family is now living in this house with the same furniture. Same that, sheets on the bed. All everything <laughs> that the biological mother had in the house when she owned it. Yeah. This is popular furniture, which gets to my core thesis to the entire series. Okay. Which is that this movie series, all of it put together, is a Zillow ad for this house in which he talks up the house. He's like, oh, it's got four bedrooms, five bathrooms. What a deal I got at the sheriff's sale, only having to pay yeah. this much. And then, like, throughout the movies, like, in this in this most recent movie, there's a point where the girl goes upstairs and she's like, I got my old washer and dryer up here. Yep. She's so excited. Everybody in all the movies at some point gets really excited about some element of this house and how great it is. And Tom Riley is always talking about mm -hmm. how much he likes his house. Like, it, yeah. I feel like that is a possibility. And he's going for a very niche market. That is very niche. Like, he, he is creating a five-movie-long <laughs> um, ad for this house that he wants to sell specifically to people who are super into D-level movies and yeah. cheesy, cheesy horror. The, where he makes a mistake, though, is that he hacked up the downstairs door with an axe. But you'll note he leaves it that way. Of course. Like, that's a selling point. I guess so, really. yeah. For people who are into the movies, sure. I don't know. It's a very distinct possibility. And it's possible that, that it's just not working. He didn't intend to make this five <laughs> movies, clearly, because it was a trilogy to begin with. And it's only gotten to this point because so far, no one is interested. But I yeah. find that hard to believe because, you know what? It's an actually a really nice house. <laughs> Except for the furniture, well, <laughs> which comes with the house, by the way. You can't get rid of the furniture. <laughs> I don't know. Tom Riley, well, <laughs> Nigel Box seems a little attached to it since it's been the same throughout. Yeah, I guess. No, I I think as a normal human being, I would replace at least some of the furniture. Okay, I'm saying this, realizing that we are recording this in a house in which 98% of the furniture is what we bought with the house. So yeah. I am not going to finish that You are that sitting sentence. on a chair we did not buy. Yep, and I love it. <laughs> I'm sitting on a chair we did buy. Thank you yes. very much. Renee. She's home from college. Her parents are on vacation. She's never been to this house. No, it's her first night in the house. Right. Her parents have just moved in, apparently. And she's just finished her finals, like, the night before or something. It's, it's an odd setup. It's sort of believable, but also sort of completely not. Well, I mean, I guess it's, it's their house. So if she had to come home at the time that they were on vacation... So sure. here's here that part is the sort of believable part. Yeah. The totally not believable part is that this young 20 something college student is in a brand new house that she has never set foot in before. The lights are going on and off. There are footsteps stomping through all the different rooms. Like things are being thrown around. The TV comes on without yeah. you know her doing anything about it. There are people, like actual figures, walking around in and out of the house that she sees in both she places. She sees them dressed there are as voices, the attic stairs open and close. Like all of these things are happening. And the extreme response that she has is to say, Hello? Hello? 
over and over and over again as she walks through the house. And there are points where she, like, she threatens that she's going to call the police. And I'm like, I would have called the police so long ago that they would already be there and I'd already be back at the station and things would, like, this would be over. She was not willing to go there. And she just, like, somebody breaks into her house writes the word HELLO in all caps in what is either blood or ketchup, (laughs) and all she does is clean it up. She cleaned it up. And then they made three-toed tracks in the blood in another room, and she went and just cleaned that up. Complaining the whole time about how much she wasn't there to do all the house cleaning. That's the whole thing about this whole movie. For most of the movie, it's the story of... The ghost does something, and she walks over and undoes it, and then ignores it. And then the ghost does something else, and she undoes it. I felt like the whole movie, the ghost was super frustrated. He was like, I'm trying to scare you. What? Don't just keep changing everything I do. Yeah. Have a little respect for the ghost. So, and what I realized in this is that what makes horror movies scary... It's or, not this. No. A, a large part. I mean, obviously, it's not the only thing. But a, a large part of what makes horror movies scary is that you have those mirror neurons, I've mentioned before, that cause you to have similar reactions viscerally yeah. to what you're seeing on the screen. So when the people, as dumb as it is that there's like teenage girls who are screaming and flailing around and falling down and overreacting to everything, it's helping cause you to have a like internal effect, right? This girl had no affect about any of it. The the only thing that she was feeling was annoyance. And so therefore the only thing I was feeling was annoyance. Well, I think towards the end of the movie she started to get scared, but this is a Bad Ben staple that the characters really don't care that there are Mm-mm. ghosts there. At most, they get annoyed or mm-hmm. they push back against them. It's mm-hmm. it's very strange, and I think it's Nigel's concept. Like he's like, eh, it's not that big of a deal. He's very pragmatic, and he's just like, sure, the door opened by itself, but we can close it and lock it, and then it'll open again, and we can do it again. That's it. it happens in all of these movies, and apparently that's how he thinks people are. It's possible that that's how he is, and the interesting thing is i buy that as tom riley's character like tom riley's mm-hmm. character refusing to be afraid i was like yep i am on board with this it's unique original uh, until in batter ben when he was terrified and had ptsd right <laughs> which in the making of video we realized was his attempt at comedy mm, yeah not so much anyway i don't buy it with this character i just it's it doesn't feel realistic to me now that kind of moves into an issue that i had with the end of the movie mm-hmm. Because I ended this movie wondering if it was, in fact, super racist. If the ending, the the finale of the movie was super racist. I don't know about super, but, I mean, it hinges on the idea, the joke premise that we've all heard of, you don't touch a black woman's hair. Right. And so she flips out and scares the ghosts away, which was funny. But at the same time, if Nigel Bach wrote it, it's... But, you know what? Most of this movie was ad-lib, so maybe... That was the actress's idea. And she was like, I know how we can end this. It's possible. And see, that's why I ended kind of conflicted. Because I'm like, that kind of a joke, it sort of depends on who's telling it and what the purpose of telling it was. And having seen all of these movies and knowing that they are directed and written by a middle-aged white guy, it felt not appropriate. 
Yeah. But you're right. If it was an ad lib, maybe it was more appropriate. I don't know. Considering that the audience also feels like sort of a middle-aged white guy audience, yeah, again, that makes that. it feel less appropriate. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. I, I would be interested in hearing what actual black people think of that and how they reacted to it because, I mean, that's that's what makes it racist or not, really. <laughs> But the fact that she was just annoyed through the whole movie and that then her, the, the ghost finally annoyed her to the point of snapping and like lashing out at him and basically chasing him away. I'm like, oh, okay, well, there's a little continuity there. It didn't work for me as a movie, yeah, but I kind of see the character d- continuity. Now, the other fun part about this movie is that I do think there was no script because nothing happens for the whole movie. It's just unbelievably repetitive and slow. Like like I said, Ghost does something, she undoes it. Ghost does something, she undoes it. For the yeah. whole movie, she's shutting doors. She, over and over again, she will, like, for example, she'll walk out the front door and look out into the darkness and be like, hey, what's out there? And go and back say, in. Hello? <laughs> Yes. Hello? Yes, she'll say that. She says that in every room of the house. Yeah. And it's like nothing going on. So I think if they had just planned this out, they could have had an escalating thing. Like the one good part, not really a good part. The one thing that felt like it was part of something bigger was when she was reading her scary book for some reason. And she found chattering teeth underneath it. And I was like, oh, so the clown is doing clown things at her. For just this one moment. Sure. And But then for the rest of the movie, all the clown did was walk around with an axe and not do anything. Just walk around. Yeah. They were the least intimidating, least intrusive yeah. ghosts. I mean, they were a little messy and not great for the electric bill. Yeah. Always but, turning on lights. But still, like, I don't know. And again... In the making of video, he talks about... Now, he doesn't talk about this movie in that video because he just talks about the first three. But he talks about how even in those three, he went around his house and looked for things that looked scary and spooky. Uh It feels like he made this movie without writing a script and without going on a shopping trip. (laughs) Like, he's like, okay... The challenge is, what can I do with one person entirely ad-libbed and only using the things that are already within the walls of this house? Except, you know, he uh, went to Goodwill to get his clown outfit. You know, the white boots, the white jacket, and the mask. Oh, his Flock of Seagulls clown outfit? Yeah, the Flock of Seagulls clown. I'm not sure about that because I'm (laughs) a little concerned that that jacket might have been in his closet. That could be. It's possible that those boots were in his closet. Oh, wow. I mean, man lived through the 80s. He did. And it's clear from the fact that she opens up some doors. We actually see parts <laughs> of the house in this movie that we haven't seen it's before. True. She opens up some... They, it wasn't selling, so they added some right? more information. Exactly. <laughs> People are like, but how many closets are there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like this one, look how much stuff this one can hold. And that's the thing. She opens up a closet and it's like filled full of holiday stuff. Yeah. So it's very possible. I mean, he seems to like his holidays. It's very possible that he had that mask already. Yeah. Yeah, it is possible. In fact, in this movie, the little knight at the top of the stairs is wearing a Santa hat. Or was that in a different... In one of these movies, it was a surprise to note that the knight was wearing a Santa hat. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty exciting. Huh. So you talked about it not having anything happening. And I think that he he knows that jump scares and that like creepy things in the background appeal mm-hmm. to his audience. There were right? a couple decent ones in this movie. There were. He does that fairly well. 
I mean, better than... Okay, there have been a lot of movies that don't have any of that, and I say he does that very well in that he uses it, and I appreciate it, I guess. I don't know. The thing, the problem is that he's forgotten that you have to do that within the context of another story. Yeah. Because otherwise, all we're doing is looking for those things, and then they're not scary because we know they're coming. Yeah. And and this one, one of the notes that I made was that it took the paranormal activity goodness of like unexpected things and changes in the room and silence for an extended period of time, and then suddenly notice something. It took that way too far. Yeah. And entirely relied on off-screen action, which doesn't work. Yeah. You have to have something Just, real. I mean, it, it's a problem. I think I talked about this in an earlier podcast, or maybe I cut it. But this idea that less skilled filmmakers try to do when they make horror movies is they're like, more ghost stuff is going to be better. This ghost spent the whole movie, flick light, flick light, open door, shut door, flick other light. Just, I mean, she's standing in one side of the room and on the other side of the room, lights are flicking on and off and she's not looking that direction. So mm-hmm. she doesn't even know what's happening. And and honestly, the fact that she was never, I mean, not that I wanted her injured necessarily, but like the <laughs> fact that she never suffered any consequences other than having to clean stuff up. She lost her phone. And lo- losing her phone. The consequences to having the ghost in the house were so minor that I was like, this ghost is not dangerous. No. I completely lost all fear of it. Because it, it seemed like it couldn't hurt her. Yeah, because it would keep turning on lights, which is right. not what they're supposed to do. Like, like escalate a little, buddy. <laughs> yeah. It's not working. You gotta you gotta raise the pressure. When well, you're being ignored, you gotta raise the pressure. And then the clown takes her phone, and then we have a long extended sequence of the clown wandering around using the phone to show where he's going. It was so boring and so pointless. And he just goes to all the same places that yeah. we had already watched her wander around three times before. Yeah, it and he doesn't even do anything. It like that whole sequence, which is probably five to seven minutes, he ends up with him going into a corner, and she comes around the corner and she sees him and runs away. Like mm-hmm. it, it's like it even took the scare out of that scene because mm-hmm. we saw it from the clown's point of view. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. Are you ready to do ratings? For me, the real question about this movie comes down to, was this better than Steelmanville Road? And that is a hard question to answer. Mm-hmm. Just in case you're wondering whether this movie was good or not. Mm-hmm. I gave Steelmanville Road a one. It had more of a story than this did. It was a stupid story, but it like was put together and went somewhere. <sighs> I'm going to cut the mustard with a bloody knife and say that this is also one roomy closet out of five. Just like Steelmanville Really? Road. Yeah, it's right on par with that, I think. I, ooh, I am going to say that I'm surprised by that, actually. I am. And I am surprised at what that means for how our ratings are going to compare on this movie. You give it a five? I am not. <laughs> So just to remind everybody, I gave the original Bad Ben a five. I remember. I You did not. You gave it a three. It was not a great movie, but I enjoyed it so much that I gave it a five. Uh-huh. It was so much fun to watch. This, this movie 
If it had not been the last movie we needed to watch for this month, and if we hadn't kind of been pressed for time, <laughs> and we hadn't already put all of this time and effort into watching the other ones, I'm pretty sure I would have turned this movie off midway through. Uh, you said that. I did. About halfway middle. through, I was like, yeah. I'm super done with this. I don't need to watch the rest of it. It's so annoying. Yeah, I actually agree. I probably would have turned this off. But I might have turned off Steelmanville Road as well. Ah. <laughs> I don't think I would have. I don't know. Uh, So here's the thing. Steelmanville Road, like you just said, had some semblance of a script. Yes. There was a plot that had been sort of somewhat sketched out. And then they ad-libbed, which is fine. Like, I'm fine with ad-libbing. They did a terrible job of it. But whatever. Like, that's uh, that's legit, right? Uh You have your plot points. And then you let people do their thing. Blair Witch was like that, right? This, he tried to cheat and not sketch out the rough plot points. Like, there was no story here. I know. Do you think that he just had the things wandering around the house and then created that scene at the end where they did the book and just on the fly he was like oh so the clown needed to be done by a witch it sort of felt like that because i would they they did not feel like witches to me i thought they were creepy priests of some kind because they were like well they were male looking figures in black robes yeah it was like the the screen guy yeah i think it was a screen mask yeah it was just a black robe with a white mask not something that i would call a witch No, they weren't very witchy. So all of that being said, I give the Crescent Moon Clown my second zero of the month. Zero I'm giving it zero roomy closets. Who's going to buy a house with zero roomy closets? I would not buy this house. Wow. All right. I can't believe it's a zero. I think you're being a little liberal with your zeros these days. I'm very concerned about you. So this movie and the open house... Nope, I stand by my zeros this month. The open house. I fully 100% stand by my zeros. <sighs> yeah. I think my range this month was high, low, whatever. Like, I, I had more um, variability in my scoring than you did, but I stand by my zeros. All right. So, I, I just want to do a quick wrap up to this whole Bad Bad series. Okay. Um, this, we watched, at the end of this, we watched the making of the trilogy. In that case, they meant the literal trilogy, the first three movies. Mm-hmm. And that kind of got me a little, I don't know, I kind of enjoyed that because we got to see how it goes along with our theories that we've got during the movies that he was totally responding to the fans by making these movies. Like he made the first movie. He was surprised it was a success in the making of documentary. He thanked everybody. He was like, I'm so glad you guys supported me in this and I'm really excited that I got to continue doing it. So that was cool and I felt good about it. But then he went on from there to keep pointing out, oh, like you guys didn't like the darker, more serious tone of Steelmanville Road, so we went back to comedy. Like, well, that's not what was wrong with Steelmanville Road, but okay. But he was definitely made these movies in response to fan criticism. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Which was sort and of comments, interesting. And comments, just not not even criticism in the negative, just right. critique. Like, he was very responsive, <laughs> like, which is kind of interesting. Uh, people noticed a dog bed in the house, and he made a whole issue out of that in later movies, which is funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, in the end, this house, the house on Steelmanville Road, I would not recommend buying it because it contains a Jersey Devil, two ghosts of the Steelmanville couple, mm-hmm. a demon, mm-hmm. which I guess Bad Ben has eaten, so maybe we're okay. Yeah, the demon might be gone. Although, I don't think so, because in this last one, we heard the 
low, scary noise, which was the demon voice. Yeah, they say that's the demon voice, so I guess it's always around. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a killer clown that's technically a doll that has been enlarged by a witch. And, of course, there's a witch that did the enlarging. And don't forget oh. the haunted tiny doll and the haunted big doll. Yeah, but that might be in another universe, so maybe not. I don't know. Well, it depends on what universe you buy this house in, I guess. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it is the most haunted place in America. Definitely. Yeah, I it, there's, there's a little bit of everything there. And I feel like if there's another movie that happens, we're also going to learn that it has been visited by aliens. Yeah, well, or a serial killer, or two more movies. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I thought the clown was going to be the serial killer, but, but no, nope. yeah, he, he was another doll come to life. So I have in my final, my final comments about this, I have two things I want to say. First of all, I think I've seen you, you know, you, you are in a career in which you are creating entertainment for people. It's fun to do. It is fun to do. And one of the things that I've seen is that constant struggle of keeping the audience happy by giving them what they think they want, the things they complain about and the things that they ask for in comments and whatnot, and then giving them what they actually want, which is as an entertainer, your job. And and honestly, I mean, to not to like toot your horn too much, but (laughs) I'm a fan and I think it's a skill that you have. Like you are able to see how people react react to games that you've made and figure out what they are really reacting to yeah. when they say what they think they're reacting I mean, to. That really is the job. Yeah. You people don't really know what they want, but they know how they feel. Right. And so you have to hear what they're saying and both respect what they are actually saying and be able to interpret that into how you're actually going to adjust what you're making so that it's still something that they like. And I think that's one of the things that went wrong here is I I don't think he has developed that skill yet. I think he he was very responsive to what people were saying they liked and didn't like. But then he didn't really... He wasn't able to interpret that into actually, like, how do I create something that will give them the same feelings that they were having? Uh, Yeah, I have two critiques for him. One is that he's being too responsive. Mm -hmm. He should mostly ignore the critics and just make what he feels like making. and, And he'll be more successful by doing that. Yep. And the, the other is that he should stop trying to make the same movie. He yeah. should just make the movie he wants to make. It can't always be in the same house. Go into the woods out back. My favorite, not my favorite, but I think a scene that looked effective was in Badder Ben when the paranormal guys went outside and were in the woods and then evil giant Bad Ben attacked them. Mm-hmm. Before evil giant Bad Ben showed up and they were just running through the woods, I was like, hey, it really is easy to make the Blair Witch because this almost works. This is kind of scary running around in the woods. And it was like in some guy's backyard. Like it wasn't even, he wasn't lost in the woods. (laughs) No. So just get out of the house, go to the backyard, start showing off some of the backyard features to the potential buyers. I think you got a movie there. Yeah. But write a plot first. So my second, my second thing reaction that i had to the the series as a whole it very much reminds me of an experience that i had when i was teaching third grade my very first class that i was ever teaching and we were doing an art project and there was this one student and he and i sort of clashed like we we didn't gel well and i mean to be straight up honest i sort of found him just a tiny bit annoying like tiny like bit. he rubbed me the wrong way we're doing this art project with water paint watercolors and 
he's not trying to be engaged in the project. Like, he's actually trying, like, he's sort of pouting about it and, like, uh-huh. just getting paint on his brush and, like, scribbling on the paper. And, like, he's got an attitude, right? Uh-huh. He accidentally makes this picture that I totally responded to. Like, he did not intend to make a thing. Like, he was just have an attitude. But when I looked at these series of scribbles and marks that he had made, it looked like a butterfly to me. And there was so much like, like motion and energy in this Uh picture. And I immediately responded to it. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is amazing. I really, really like that painting. And part of it was I was trying to connect with this kid that I didn't have a connection with. And part of it was I really was having this like, like visceral reaction to what he had just created. Created art. And he was kind of stunned and like, it was this amazing new experience for him to have me react in that way to something that he had done. And I like, I ended up asking him if I could have it and he gave it to me and it was great. And then he spent not just the rest of that art period, but many times over the rest of the year, (laughs) he would get out the watercolors and like scribble on a piece of paper to try to recreate this thing that had happened that uh-huh. that had gotten him this great response, right? And of course, none of the rest of it was anything. It was just scribbles on paper. Like, there was nothing to it. It was purely by accident that he had just connected with, with my emotional center, right? That's what this series feels like. That is the perfect analogy. Right? Like, like I loved that first movie so much. And then all the rest of them, I'm just like, oh, Nigel, buddy, you're trying too hard. He is. That's what it is. He's trying too hard. You got to ease up. Like, go do something. Figure out a new project that you're excited about. And maybe I'll be excited too. But stop trying to get me to be excited in the same way. Yeah, definitely. And I'd like our audience to know that that painting is actually framed and hung up in our house. True story. I still love that painting. (laughs) Every time I look at it, I'm just like, that's amazing. Plus, then I have this like connection with this kid. And I think we it did improve our relationship. But oh, yeah, he just like accidentally (laughs) made the right series of of lines and colors and stuff that worked for me. And jump scares. You know, Nigel, he... He did something that worked for me in that first movie. And I really, truly hope that at some point he he finds the confidence to actually write another movie and do it. Because I'm a little afraid that part of why he's not writing scripts for his movies now is that the parts that people liked were the parts that were ad-libbed. And the parts they complained about were the parts he wrote. But people are always going to complain about the parts you write. They're still necessary. They really are. These movies could have been so much better if there had been a plan behind them. Yes. Although he did say during that Make Game documentary that the original Bad Ben had no script at all and he just made it up, which the problem was that he then tried to explain it in his next movie. Right. And he clearly has a gift for ad lib. Yeah, personally. And then to try to trust other people to have that same gift, there are other people, but he was not finding those people. Yeah. So that's unfortunate. I think they needed more guidance. Yeah, he should probably work with Judd Apatow and all his crew of actors. I think that would be great. Oh, (laughs) I would like to see Seth Rogen in Steelmanville Road. I mean, not the movie, but like the house. I I want to see him. Just put him in the house. Just put Seth Rogen. That would actually be a really good movie. (laughs) (laughs) Because you know what? He's also smart enough that he would. He'd be like, well, maybe I shouldn't just go over and relock the door. Right. I should react in a certain way. Right. He could figure this out. Yep, I'm on board with that. 
There's your next idea, Nigel. Run with it. Yeah, I'm sure Seth is up for this. <laughs> Who knows? He might be. <laughs> he might Get him be. at the right time. Buy him the right stash. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, overall, I am glad that we watched all of them. Good. It was fun. It was it was fun to have like this little mini project of going through a whole series and seeing how that felt. Yeah. And that's it for 2018, everybody. Yeah. That's the last movie. It might be the last podcast we ever do, except tomorrow, come back for one final Halloween Horror 2018 podcast where Mike and I talk about the whole mo- the month as a whole and kind of what we noticed with the movies we saw. We're going to put it all together. Maybe we'll find out the purpose of all those first lines and first shots. I wouldn't count on it, though. Yeah, don't hold your breath, you guys. I mean, <laughs> if you've been listening, you see the kind of quality that we have. There's no script here. There's no script. <laughs> <laughs> Hello? Hello? (laughs) Boo!